millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There was actually one pivotal thing that happened. My ex-girlfriend's mom at that time, she gave me a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Hmm. Um, and for me, man, I grew up like an upper middle class kid uh, in Colorado. Um, and I didn't, you know, there's always a safety net for me. Uh, if I really, really needed it. So like if I failed, it didn't mean that I was going to be on the streets. Um, you know, it, it meant that I still had the opportunity to borrow money from my parents if I needed whatever, like rock bottom for me wasn't that bad. And when you have that mindset, like that fosters a lot of mediocrity. And there's a term in that book called The Millionaire Next Door called economic outpatient care um, that, that charts the different levels of success, success that kids have based on like where they start in life. Um, and it showed like straight up like a lot of upper middle class kids um, with the like socioeconomic uh, and demographic backgrounds uh, that I had end up not really achieving much in life. They kind of flatline um, because of not really needing to face any sort of adversity that creates growth. So I knew that I had to manufacture my own adversity and the only way that I was going to be able to do that was by putting challenge, like starting to create challenges for myself since they weren't there already. Like I knew I had to go out and just make, make things suck and then grow through that. How you day, how you day. That was Tommy Joyner and we were discussing what I believe is very prevalent in society today, which is mediocrity or basically settling for what's comfortable. And Tommy is someone who... You know, came from a, a, a middle class, upper middle class uh, background, but he always wanted more. And, you know, that internal battle of sort of figuring out what's next while knowing that, uh, you know, society has different expectations and your friends have different expectations is something that I find a lot of people find themselves in. So if you've ever questioned yourself and wondered if you could do more, I think this would be an interesting episode for you. If you've ever thought about maybe developing websites based on content or developing companies that, you know, are fueled by content. This will also be a good website for you. But, you know, as you listen to the episode, I want to challenge you all to think about what your true purpose is, what your true goal is. What is it that you want to achieve? What do you feel like your legacy should be? You know, think about these things and ask yourself, are you actually living in accordance to those values right now? Are you living, you know, life that's consistent with the passions you say you have? So, 
I hope you check the. I hope you check out the episode. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you share it. I hope you go follow him. He's a pretty interesting guy, and um, I've also he also has uh, tidbits on travel. You know, if you're interested in travel, he's got some some uh, concepts and and the stages uh, that you go through when you travel to different backgrounds or sorry, different countries rather. So check it out. As far as updates with me, I'm you know in the in the process of wrapping up the first draft of my book. So a lot of you have asked me what it's like to write a book. So um, a lot of it is, it takes a lot of discipline. You know, I, I, you know, basically give myself a writing schedule every day and I, you know, chunk at it. And I basically just, you know, type, 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 and then continue to just uh, uh, type my way to, to, you know, close to 300 pages. So it's going well. Um, I'm almost done with the first draft and then I'll be able to share more of the writing journey. But till then, enjoy the episode. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today I'm joined by Tommy Joyner. Joined by Joyner. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. But uh, t- today we're, we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, his career, his progression as an English teacher, uh, to freelancer, to a nomad entrepreneur. And he's the CEO of ContentPros.io, which is a blogging service, and they do agency type work. They build out a lot of services, and we're going to talk about different ways to build out your career as a freelancer, different ways to uh, become a nomad, and ways to have a sustainable career while traveling and learning different languages. Welcome to the show. Nice, yeah, it's Halo. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, the pleasure is mine. So, uh, Tommy, I always like to start off a lot of my interviews with you know, the, the guests giving a background or an insight into their career. So what the early days were like and how they basically navigated the way to where they are today. So what about you? What was it like for you as a kid? How did you know what you wanted to do? Or if you didn't know what you wanted to do, what were the sort of the, the paths you took to sort of get you to where you are today? <laughs> Let's bring it all the way back from, from where I began. I grew up in uh, Carbondale, Colorado, which is a small town near Aspen, actually, um, and uh, lived there till I was 18, spent all my high school years there, and then I went to uh, college at a small liberal arts school in Colorado Springs called Colorado College. Uh, I played Division three football there and had a wonderful experience. I studied economics and got a degree uh, in that uh, while I was there, but when I graduated college, definitely didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, uh, kind of fell into a job working commercial insurance, which turned out to be a blessing. Uh, later on. Uh, it's definitely something that I value that I did now in terms of the hardcore sales experience that I gained. Uh, but while I was there, I absolutely hated it. Um, and I really had no plans for life and was just kind of floating around. And I think that uh, ultimately led to a lot of dissatisfaction and unhappiness that I was experiencing at that time. Uh, also, uh, to be honest, I kind of kept the college party lifestyle going for a few years after I graduated a home, which mm. I don't think really helped anything. Uh, in terms of my personal development. But around the age of like 24, 25, I started to realize that, um, you know, I was going to have to make some big changes to put myself where uh, I ultimately wanted to be, which was this grander vision uh, that I had of uh, an entrepreneur, someone doing things on his own, international travel, kind of living this global lifestyle, which I was nowhere near uh, yet at that point. So that set me on a journey, which first took me to New York, sleeping on some couches, on some homies, uh, couches on the Lower East Side, trying to look for work for a while. Um, wasn't a good place to go when you're trying to abandon a party lifestyle and save money. 
Um, <laughs> so I ended up in Chicago actually and got a, uh, a job um, at a, a trade publication. Uh, had that for about a year. Um, and really at that point, like I had never gotten a job for myself. My parents had gotten me all the jobs that I had ever had in my life. I grew up with, uh, in a family of entrepreneurs that had companies that I could work for. Uh, and then after college, I, I actually ended up getting a job with one of my dad's friends. Um, so I really wanted to like prove something to myself. So I got that at 25, I really got my first job for myself, which was a big achievement for me. And I, I worked there for a year and I crushed that job. I started like literally uh, in like a boiler room setting um, and then ended up in the corner office on Michigan Avenue managing like seven people uh, making six figures on a year on track to make a lot more. Um, but once I had proven that to myself, I realized like, okay, this is, uh, this is still, you check the box, but this is still not what you want. Um, I had a buddy that was teaching English in Seoul, South Korea at that point, And I was really intrigued by the idea of like making the jump to live abroad. I had read it for a four hour work week by Tim Ferriss but I didn't really have the confidence that I could start my own business. I just, uh, I just wasn't there yet in terms of like uh, personal growth and the confidence and the belief that I had in myself. So I made that jump to teach English in South Korea, uh, which was such a pivotal step for me along my journey. Uh, and that really changed everything. I lived there for about a year and a half, fell in love with that country, fell in love with being abroad, uh, traveled around Asia, volunteered in Indonesia for a while, eventually made my way back to the West and uh, went to Colombia. It had always been like a lifelong goal of mine to become fluent in Spanish, um, which I was able to do uh, when I got to Colombia. And then at the same time, um, while I was in Colombia, I decided that, okay, now I need to figure out how to maintain this lifestyle abroad and make money online. Um, and in Colombia, I met a bunch of other entrepreneurs who were doing things and um, was able to figure out how to, how to make a few bucks online doing freelancing, basically. Um, uh, when the sites that uh, that preceded Upwork existed, which were called Elance and Odesk, that then merged and became Upwork, um, and I was able to make money off of off of those sites uh, and turn freelancing into basically uh, kind of a digital marketing agency. Uh, my business partner, where we were building out autoresponder campaigns and sales funnels, um, and then eventually turn that into a company with uh, monthly recurring content writing subscriptions, which I run now, called ContentPros.io. Uh, and as we were talking about before the show, I've lived in a bunch of different countries since, and that's been able to support me uh, kind of along my journey and free up some space to, you know, start thinking about some other things in life, uh, which is also really cool. So, yeah, so I'm coming at you live right now from Bali, Indonesia, uh, where I'll be for the first half of this year and uh, still still living the, the nomad lifestyle. Wow. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and I, I want to break it down piece by piece. And the first thing that I, I want to talk about is that mindset of, you know, meandering through life. You know, you talked about how, you know, you had the party lifestyle and then you didn't have, I guess, your first real job until 25. And, you know, because you lived in a family of entrepreneurship. I'm, I'm curious about the mindset then. What was what was in your mind as you were thinking uh, as you were growing through that period? Were you, were you searching for a purpose? Did you think you needed a purpose? Or was there a moment where you realized, man, I need to actually try something else? Uh, because it's a drastic change from sort of meandering through life to then deciding to travel and then um, launching a content pro, you know, content pro that I own. Yeah, no, it's a good question, man. And I mean, I'm sure you can relate to some of this, but um, I always felt like I had like something more inside of me that I wanted to explore and something that I was going to like continue to 
develop. Like even even when I was going through my craziest of days, partying in college and even afterwards, um, you know, a lot of people didn't take me seriously because of this external uh, kind of uh, character that I had created, uh, which honestly was quite understandable. <laughs> but I always knew deep down that I was going to evolve and that I was going to change. And I guess I was just waiting. Um, I, I wait. I, I, I waited. I waited for a while to dive into that. And I think a lot of us do that. And, you know, fortunately for me, even when I've waited through periods of time, when I've felt transformation coming, eventually I've, I've stepped up to the plate and I've done that. So, uh, yeah, I guess it just took me a little while. Like by the time I got to age 25, like a lot of anxiety set in and I kind of felt like my back was against the wall. There was actually one pivotal thing that happened. My ex-girlfriend's mom at that time, she gave me a book called the millionaire next door. Hmm. Um, and for me, man, I grew up like an upper middle class kid uh, in Colorado. Um, and I didn't, you know, there's always a safety net for me uh, if I really, really needed it. So like if I failed, it didn't mean that I was going to be on the streets. Um, you know, it, it meant that I still had the opportunity to borrow money from my parents if I needed whatever, like rock bottom for me wasn't that bad. And when you have that mindset, like that fosters a lot of mediocrity. And there's a term in that book called The Millionaire Next Door called economic outpatient care um, that, that charts the different levels of success, success that kids have based on like where they start in life. Um, and it showed like straight up like a lot of upper middle class kids um, with the like socioeconomic uh, and demographic backgrounds uh, that I had end up not really achieving much in life. They kind of flatline um, because of not really needing to face any sort of adversity that creates growth. So I knew that I had to manufacture my own adversity. And the only way that I was going to do that, going to be able to do that was by putting challenge, like starting to create challenges for myself since they weren't there already. Like I knew I had to go out and just make, make things suck and then grow through that. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, and I think one of the things that a lot of our world today um, underestimate is mediocrity. I think mediocrity knows nothing higher than itself, but talent instantly recognizes genius. That's a quote, and that that I, I I live by a lot of times. But the idea of just settling or just you know living a life uh, that basically you know you you don't you don't do something to test yourself, you don't do something to go outside of your comfort zone. I think is one of the um, plagues that's actually affecting a, a lot of us today because um, we don't actually get to become the best versions of ourselves. And it's, and it sounds like you, I guess that book really opened your eyes to the the possibility of like, yeah, seemingly on the outside, you do have, you know, you know, well-to-do parents and a comfortable lifestyle, but who truly is Tommy Joyner and what can he do? And, um, and I, that sounds like it set you down this path to what you do today. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Dude. And I, I think that was like a really good way to sum it up. Um, I think that's, that's a huge thing. And I'm really passionate about like helping people try and break through that. Like, uh, uh, yeah. I've rec recognized that pattern myself and other people. And like, it's, it's definitely there, man. You know, yeah. got to get on that, uh, develop a little bit of a David Goggins mindset and just, just get after it. Yeah. David Goggins. I love David Goggins. Um, and David Goggins for those, that, uh, um, they don't know you should check him out. David Goggins is an incredible um, guy who it just it just builds himself after several <laughs> failures. So 
the other thing that I wanted to dive into as you were talking about your intro is the idea of travel. Now, that can be intimidating to some people. You sort of, you know, leapt into this and you said you had several goals. So one was you wanted to learn Spanish. So, you, you know, you, you learned that. And then you, the idea of uprooting your life and going to another another country can be scary. How did you sustain yourself initially? Um, <laughs> financially or psychologically? Well, you know, since you broke it down into those two, let's start off with financially and then go psycho- psychologically. Cool. Yeah, because there's like, uh, I mean, there's a couple different components there. But um, when I left Colorado initially, um, I had a little bit of money saved up. And then I did have some money saved up by the time I left to Korea. Because I was 26 by the time I actually went abroad, which I would say uh, is sort of late for some people that like go teach English and do different things. Like if I didn't do it then, then I, I may have never done it. I know some people do it like a little later in life, but I mean, in the States, especially we're facing a lot of social pressure to be a certain way and to have certain things like done in our lives by then and to continue along a certain path. So for me to break out initially, um, like required a lot of uh, mental fortitude. Um, but yeah, when I got to Korea, I had saved up some money. And then while I was in Korea, Korea is actually a really good place to save money while you're teaching English abroad. So I was able to save a lot more money, pay off all my debts while I lived there. Um, I actually had owned an apartment in Denver and sold that while I was abroad. So I, I came into um, Colombia with a bit of cash, but you know, not enough to just kind of sit there and not do anything. My back was against the wall in terms of trying to figure out how to make income. So, uh, so yeah, freelancing is like where it started, man. Like when I was in Colombia, um, I had embarked on a couple different projects. I was trying to sell eBooks for like 15 bucks online. None of that was really working. Um, but while I was creating eBooks, I was working with a buddy who was helping me out and he had a profile on Elance. Um, and he actually, made he flipped his profile one day this was quite genius he was we were working as clients hiring graphic designers and stuff on this freelance website right Mm -hmm. he flipped his profile and he signs up as a freelancer and he has no skills (laughs) whatsoever so (laughs) i'm like i'm like what are you gonna do man like you can't write you can't do graphic design he's like oh yeah well i like can sell so like i'll sell this job and then i'll find a graphic designer we'll pay him less and then i can just make money off the top and i was like whoa that's a great idea. So, um, so we started profiles as freelancers and, you know, it felt like I felt very much like an imposter uh, pretending like I could offer these marketing services that I myself couldn't fulfill on. But, uh, I offered writing services, uh, within a month, we had knocked down a job for $5,000 online and we split the profits from that. Uh, and we found a writer to fulfill the work. We did some email copy for a guy. And that really just opened my mind to the possibility of uh, like, okay, I never have to, I never have to move back in with my parents. I can figure out how to make money online. Like once, once I crossed that line, like I knew forever for the rest of my life that like, since I believed and saw that happen, I would never have to go back to, to making money from someone else. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And then obviously you, as you sort of got a taste of that and uh, you, you decided that this was something you could do, I read that you kind of fell into the side project in a cafe at Columbia. So you were first in South Korea, South Korea where you were teaching English, which you say it's a good way to to make money 
and Korea is also a good place for you to save money. And as you are saving money, your you know your your buddy, you saw your buddy who you uh, claim to have no skills except selling. Uh, <laughs> figure out a, figure out a way to sort of make money. Then you're like, I could do this. Did you? So was it a direct trip from South Korea to Colombia, or did you have other places in between? Um, it was. Uh, oh, I did go to Indonesia. So after Colombia, like I wanted, or after Korea. So I traveled around Korea a lot, and then, um, yeah. By the time I finished my time there, I was almost 28 years old. So uh, my party days, in terms of what they used to look like, were uh, they were different, and I wasn't looking to travel around Southeast Asia and do the backpacker thing and like really just be drunk for six weeks. Um, I opted to do a volunteer experience where I uh, went and worked with this uh, like a marine conservation outfit in Raja Ampat in Indonesia um, and spent six weeks scuba diving three, three times a day, learning how to uh, take uh, surveys of the marine, marine wildlife and ecosystem there that we would then give to the Indonesian government uh, that they used to chart those areas and identify um, endangered species, which was a super cool experience. So, so yeah, I did that. And then I took, I didn't jump into business right away. I went to Cartagena, Colombia when I first got there and I lived with a family and studied Spanish intensely for eight hours a day for two months, which really leveled up my Spanish game. And then I moved to Medellin. So it was a bit of a progression. And while I was in Medellin, there was a few months, uh, of, of just banging at the cafe every day with my friend trying to figure stuff out. I, I mean, it was probably, it was five or six months before we ended up, you know, really figuring out what to do and leading, like doing something that led to revenue. So there was a lot of anxiety and stress associated with that period of time, which I don't always talk about. Well, yeah, please. Um, the, the, the stress and anxiety that comes with launching a business and uncertainty is one that we miss in a lot of um, business journals. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The business articles, because you know, we, we often miss the middle part and we just talk about the beginning and then the end. So I'll be curious to learn more about that. Yeah, man. Well, I think like uh, for me, uh, I think we all struggle with this. Uh, I mean, we definitely all struggle with this, but any time, you know, you think about launching a business, especially when you haven't done anything and when you're a little older in life, you know, I met entrepreneurs while I was in Medellin when I got there. You know, I was 28. I met kids that were like 22, 23, just crushing it online, doing different things. Uh, and that just makes you feel like behind the, behind the, the, the game, man. And um, that's like, 
it really creates this feeling of like being an imposter. And it's like, I, I don't even know what to ask these online entrepreneurs questions about because I'm, I'm so novice. Um, so it felt really like intimidating trying to establish direction. So like here I am trying to work on a project, figuring out how to make money online. And like, I'm too embarrassed to even talk to the dudes that are doing it successfully and find out how they're doing it. Um, so, uh, so there's that. And then also, you know, I'm gradually, I'm gradually running out of money and not bringing in any income really. Like I was kind of teaching English in Colombia on the side, but it's, it's not really keeping up with my expenses, even though Colombia, especially at that time was pretty cheap. Um, and then just more questioning like life, like, okay, like what, what's the next step? Like you got out here, you went to Korea, you're living abroad, you want to sustain this. The worst thing in the world that, that could happen to you right now is to go back with your tail between the legs and, and, uh, and end up in Colorado and, and get a corporate job again, which is what you know you don't want to do. Um, so, uh, there was that. And then there was also the thought of like, uh, yeah, having to go back and work for my parents' company, et cetera, something like that having my friends look at me like I had failed. Uh, yeah. All, all those thoughts going through your head, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then throughout that, you obviously, you kept building, you kept pushing through and you eventually um, launched content pros at IO. When, when did you realize that what you had was going to be successful? Um, so, well, you know, at first it's interesting because once you start making money online in the way that we did, when you're selling projects for as much as we were selling them for, uh, and when you realize that people will pay high dollar amounts for things like sales copy online, uh, and you can outsource it and make like an 80 or 90% profit margin, um, you feel pretty good about that. Me and my business partner made $20,000 within probably like 45 days or something. Um, some of those were receivables that took a little while to collect, but regardless, we're able to stack a lot of money really quickly. Um, but I mean, that meant that we had to keep selling, like every month came and we had to keep selling and we realized, you know, we didn't have an asset that we could sell, uh, or anything that someone would buy down the line or anything that we could really get out of operating ourselves, um, in a way that felt sustainable. So we started experimenting with things. We probably, I mean, we did that for like about two years. Um, and it was fine. I mean, it sustained our lifestyle. We're making good cash. Um, but we realized like, okay, like how can we level up? How can we create like an actual business? Um, so at one point we just started offering people monthly recurring subscriptions for different things. Um, we tried to sell emails for a while. We tried to sell like a consultation service. Um, and eventually we landed on like just a content writing service. So we initially started out selling blogs cause you know, people want blogs consistently. If people are blogging, if people are blogging, they're usually doing it consistently. Um, and if they have blogs, that they're having freelancers or ghostwriters write, um, they're paying them to do that on a regular basis. Or sometimes they even have an internal team member. So we identified that as like something that people actually needed. Um, and then we were able to actually turn that into a monthly recurring subscription service and build our business around that. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well, I love that. Well, now that you, you've painted that picture, I'm sure a lot of people here are, are, who are listening or are aspiring you know, freelancers or are currently freelancers who are trying to create that sustainable career. So what exactly makes up a good content and, and what kind of systems can a freelancer, you know, incorporate into their routine to make sure that they have a sustainable uh, lifestyle to, to go with creating sustainable content? Yeah. So 
Man, uh, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here, but basically like there's a couple different stages that you'll go through as an entrepreneur. And like let's just focus on the one that I'm familiar with, obviously, where you're starting out as a freelancer, um, like actually fulfilling the work. So let's say you're an email copywriter um, or you're like a sales copywriter and you're actually doing things. Um, I have some high dollar uh, sales copywriter friends who do very well for themselves and they never leave this stage, right? But essentially, um, there's a book called The E-Myth uh, Revisited by Michael Gerber, and he refers to that area of uh, like evolution as kind of like the artist. Like you're the one doing the work, you're fulfilling the work, you're kind of doing everything. Um, uh, and then there's a, a, la a later stage where you go to uh, outsourcing the work at least a little bit. So maybe you have someone working for you doing the writing, uh, but you're still managing that whole process. Uh, so you're still kind of the artist in terms of some of the stuff that you're messing with. Um, but you're also a little bit of a technician. So uh, you go from doing the work to having someone do the work for you and kind of managing the project, um, which removes you from part of the process, but you're still kind of involved. Um, and at that point, you're still doing project-based work um, as a freelancer. So unless you have people on monthly recurring subscriptions or whatever, you can have to kill, uh, kill what you eat every single month. Um, and that can be a little bit frustrating. And then your journey from there uh, and the next step is to like really turn it into an asset, right? So once you've identified something that people will buy and that's something that people will buy on a regular monthly basis, you know, it's then your job to set up systems, get the team in place to uh, actually start trying to sell that on a regular monthly recurring uh, yeah. basis. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's like a little bit of the progression that we went through. No, no, that's good. That's good. And then with your company, you say, you can finally get outsourced content writing that you won't be embarrassed about. What do you mean by that? Um, so there's a lot of blogging services out there. Like one of the, the voids that we found in the marketplace, and this could be something that other people listening to the show could investigate, is if you're looking to develop a productized service, like um, what makes your productized service different? Like if you look at blogging services online, there aren't many out there that actually charge. Uh, there are some that charge a similar rate that we do on but we are definitely more of a premium service. So we don't charge the most, but we charge higher than a lot of the services that exist um, because we, we pay native English speakers uh, to write the content. Uh, all of our writers are from the States or Canada for the most part. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's just a higher quality of content that you pay elsewhere. And most of that is due to the fact that we pay our writers three to four times what you're going to find that the other blogging services that compete with us do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm trying to think of um, someone that needs your service. Can you paint who your ideal client would be? It would be, hey, I, I wanted to start a marketing company, but I don't know what to write about. And then they come to you and then they hire your writers or how does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the, the, the best customers for us are uh, other SEO or marketing agencies that need a lot of content for their clients that can then kind of white label our service and then we can produce for them. Um, so those are, that makes up like the bulk of our customers. So we end up doing like a lot of work for, you know, Bill's marketing agency that has 20 different customers and they all need a, a set number of blog posts per, per month based on different topics. And then he can then use us to fulfill all the production, just kind of give us the content calendar, tell us what to write about. We can do some research as well if needed, and then we can, we can bust that out for them. Uh, we also work with a lot of B2B SaaS companies. Uh, as well within a couple different niches. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. As we as we're getting ready to the to, to wrap up in the second half of the interview, 
I just want to briefly touch on the psychological aspect of moving. You had, you had mentioned it earlier. What was that like? I mean, this is a different culture. You have to deal with visas, different languages, different types of people, different cultures, maybe distance from family or even comfort. What what tips can you share to the audience as they seek a career to be a digital nomad? Um, yeah, there's there's a there's a couple different phases that you go through when you move abroad, and I think everyone should be aware of them before they do it. Um, and you know, the first thing is like, I mean, uprooting is a huge thing, and just getting motivated to do it in the first place and making a jump that requires a lot of courage. Um, and that's, that's big step number one. Like if you can get over that hump, which a lot of people actually don't, there's a lot of people that have failure, failure to launch, um, that never make it there. So if you get over that, you're, you're doing pretty good. But then once you first get to a place, um, for sure, there's going to be different things that you have to deal with. Every country that you go to has different visa rules. Uh, for the most part, uh, I mean, you can be in a place pretty much anywhere you go in the world. You can be in a place for at least 30 days. Most places that you go, you can get a tourist visa for 60 to 90 days pretty easily right off the bat so you have enough time to kind of like settle down and adjust before you have to make your next move and figure out how you're going to extend that or get a different visa that will allow you to stay there uh longer um but yeah man you're going to experience a ton of euphoria when you first get to a country um and then i find that you're generally going to go through like a bout of loneliness associated with trying to make new friends and associate uh yourself with a different community and like really kind of fit in um and then that kind of like evens out over time and then you just kind of feel sort of neutral. Um, I think after a while, uh, let's say month four, five and six, if you make it that far when you're abroad, you start to kind of normalize and get back to like a, a general base level of happiness. Uh, and then you really start to kind of experience the country again. Uh, I find that a little bit while after that, like <laughs> let's just break it into like a chunk of a whole year. Once like eight and nine, you might get like a little homesick again. And then by the time you leave a place, uh, you you don't want to leave, especially if you've been there for like a year. It starts to really feel like home. Um, you know, you've generally formed relationships. Maybe you even you've even had romantic relationships. You've like lived a very full life uh, where you're at. So I'm a big advocate for going to places and staying in them for a long period of time. Pretty much everywhere I've lived, um, I've lived in a lot. I've lived in more countries than most of my nomad friends for longer periods of time. Uh, a lot of my friends bounce around a lot more than I do. Yeah, so I believe the concept is called slow travel. So you basically you stay in a, in a place for a longer period of time than typically a tourist would, and you embed yourself there for a little bit and set up a lifestyle, and then you decide to go on after. Uh, sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely more uh, more what I'm into, and I definitely I, I mean I love to to be in places and, and see stuff, but. You know, I still like to get in a routine. I like to like to work out, I like to go on hikes on the weekend. I like to read books. All that stuff requires like a little bit of a base level foundation wherever you're at. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Notice as well, a mutual friend, yeah, Danny Floyd, and you wrote a book. So I wrote a book with Danny Flood uh, called Teaching English in East Asia. And uh, really, I just felt like I had a story inside of me that I wanted to tell about my journey, which I don't think I'm fully uh, finished fleshing out in a way that is, uh, helpful to people. But that was my first example of just kind of getting a uh, part of my story out there in terms of some of the stuff that we talked about early on, uh, that, uh, preceded my journey to South Korea and teaching English abroad. So in that book, I lay out, uh, kind of some of the stuff that I went through personally to get to where I got, as well as, uh, some steps, um, 
that are associated with exactly how I got a job teaching English in Korea. So there's a lot of practical knowledge in there as well. And then uh, one of the really cool things about that book is I was able to team up with six different um, six different people who had taught English abroad, uh, a lot of which I think almost maybe four out of the six have gone on to do different things in uh, the online entrepreneur community after uh, their experience teaching English abroad as well. So people can learn from from those case studies also. So I think it's pretty cool, uh, pretty cool piece of work that we put together. Uh, gotten a lot of good reviews and uh yeah it's still still available for sale on on amazon for like two or three bucks or something um but it's a solid resource yeah no we'll definitely put that in the show notes i always like uh including projects of, of the guests because i think they're they're one they give insights into who the you know who you are right but especially when it's about traveling east there's a whole misconception about travel period but then when traveling east and traveling west is very you know they're very different uh, different types of mindsets. I think a lot of people sometimes think that they know um, eastern parts of the world based on what they see on TV or what they've read, and it's often incomplete. So you know um, I always like having first person accounts of of what it truly means like to you know take in a different culture than you're used to, especially if you're from the west. Yeah, that's a really good point, man. And if you haven't been to Asia and you're listening to this podcast, I really encourage you to uh, to get along over here because it, uh, yeah, it might just change you forever. Um, <laughs> it does to a lot of people. Well, speaking of change forever, you're, you're, you describe yourself as not that into labels and you're more into people and exploring the depth of what it means to be alive. What do you mean by that? I mean, we, I mean, from what I understand, we live in a world where everybody feels like you should be something, right? You, you should be in a box. And if you're not in that box, that means you're not cool. So why do you defy labels? Um, yeah, man. Well, this is kind of a cool conversation, but I, uh, I've gone through like uh, a lot of like personal and spiritual work over the past year in particular. And like one of the things that I think I've always in it resonated with or that I've felt deeply is, uh, I've been, I've always been like very averse to like calling myself a certain thing, but, uh, up until pretty recently in my life, I've always felt like I had to define myself as, you know, like a, like a salesperson or an entrepreneur, uh, or a writer or whatever. Um, and as I got older, um, I started to kind of try and pick what labels I wanted that I felt suited me a little bit better. Um, and then I also realized that regardless of what label we put on ourselves, uh, we're pigeonholing ourselves into uh, something that comes from outside of us, right? So like all of these labels are essentially things that we're putting on ourselves to uh, project to the outside world, like what we want them to think about us. Um, and in my mind, that just creates this, um, this illusion of separation <laughs> when in reality, uh, you know, uh you know on, on a deeper level uh nobody is is anybody really really you know so like we're all trying to be somebody but really we're all we're all part of the same thing we're all kind of in this together and i think labels um they they just hold us back from like a, a deeper understanding of what what it really means to um be a, a part of the human experience yeah yeah no, and, and that's a that's a phenomenal point so how do we get better at connecting with people truly for who they are how do we you know, get rid of our biases or, you know, limit our biases since we're all biased individuals, but how do we make sure we get to the heart of who the other person is and make sure that we um, don't create limited stories of people? 
yeah dude absolutely like i think uh i mean i think like we can start with like little practical things like one thing that's really worked for me is like when i meet someone like i never ask them what they do like i don't want them to feel to feel any sort of like pressure associated with like uh trying to tell me about like what they do to make money for example like within the entrepreneurial community it's cool to understand like what type of projects people are working on whatever eventually you get there in a conversation um but not asking people what they do so that they don't automatically have to tell you something about who they are uh is one and then i think just showing love and like being really generous and creating space for people um when you uh when you meet them or when you interact with them so uh yeah just like just humility man and like generosity i think uh goes a really long way in terms of like creating the space that people need to be able to disassociate themselves with labels and feel the love that is ultimately uh, radiating radiating outside of you um and hopefully have them recognize that that's that's inside of them too yeah no i love that couldn't agree more i could agree more as we wrap up where can people find out more about you more about your you know your practices and maybe just you know, go on the uh the globe trotting journey with you um yeah man i mean i post on instagram a lot so my instagram is tommy t-o-m-m-y under underscore joiner j-o-i-n-e-r so you can follow me personally there in terms of my my personal journey i post a lot about like spirituality and personal development there and then in terms of business um yeah contentpros.io uh, is my main thing that's what keeps me afloat so y'all can check me out there too if you're interested in uh what a productized service looks like all right, we'll put that in the show notes. Contentpro.io, contentpros.io, and uh, Tommy underscore Joiner uh, on Instagram. Make sure I put that in the show notes. As uh, my mission statement, Tommy, is use your difference to make a difference. And it's the foundation of everything that I do. And every time I'm wrapping up an interview, I always turn that into a question uh, for my guests. So, Tommy, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Lately, it's just been more about like, um a lot of uh introspection self-excavation and doing the best that i can to speak my truth at all times so like anytime i'm interacting with someone i want that to be uh authentic i know that i have a lot of quirks and there's a lot of weird things about me but i've also learned that those things are very powerful and they resonate with a lot of people and they've been able to help uh a lot of people through different different things and difficult times that they're going through uh in their lives so yeah, I guess if I just had one piece of advice uh, or could explain or articulate how I use my difference to make a difference, it's just that I embrace that and I try to show up that way uh, as much as possible when I interact with others. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. That sounds like a, sounds like a, a journey to a very fulfilled life and a, one that's always cultivating a growth mindset. So I'm very, very curious to just continue to follow you and see what it is that you um, you end up doing because you're already... Um, sort of creating this platform for people to to have more flexibility in their lives. But I have a feeling that you're going to do something to uh, impact people's lives in an even deeper way as you go into your spiritual journey from what I'm listening to. Well, thank you so much, dude. And I'm, I'm a big fan of your content. So, you know, keep rocking. And uh, yeah, it was good to, good to be connected, man. Thank you. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 